is the Enter Sad Men podcast. Every rock and metal album you should own. Reviewed, rated, and ranked. And welcome along to Enter Sad Men, episode 22. I'm Steve. Um, with me, uh, remotely, virtually, of course, are uh, my two buddies, Mark and Rich, to uh, talk you through three more albums um, that we plan to infuse into our ever-lengthening Hall of Fame that is the, uh, the basis of the concept of this podcast, whereby we we review, we rate, we rank three albums every episode, and uh, until we until we run out of albums to review, and uh, the idea is we're doing it between a kind of parameters of 1970s and 1995. That's the kind of era we love. If you want to know more about the kind of thing we're doing, then go onto our website, entersadmen.co.uk, and from there you'll find links to where you can find us on uh, social media and where you can listen to the podcast on any other different ways and means. Yeah, so this is episode 22, so that means we've done 63 albums, I think, thus far. And last week, we well, we, we base our, what we do on a theme. We've always done that. That's what we do. So the three albums are always based on a theme. Themes come to us randomly, courtesy of uh, our Tombola, our Tico Torres Tombola. Um, and he's got lots of different things in there, lots of balls to chuck in the air. Um, and last week, he came up with 1971, quite randomly. So we departed back to 71 to pick three albums. This time round, we're doing, um, well, he chose a producer for us to look at. And um, I'll tell you what, the best man to introduce the producer is the one man out of the three of us who knows an awful lot about production. And it ain't me and it ain't Mark. Richard, who are we doing on episode 22? Oh, we're doing our dear, dear friend. Well, not friend, we don't know him, but he's, uh, he's, uh, he feels like he's one of the family. He's uh, Max Norman. So... You look up Max on Wikipedia and the list of albums he's been involved with will blow your mind. I mean, he's just part of the backbone of everything we love. And we hope we picked three albums tonight to to do him justice. I had a hell of a lot of albums to choose from for this episode because he was a prolific beast. Not just that, all good albums, a lot of really good albums as well. You must have felt the same, Mark. Surely, yeah, I did. When we uh, when Tico uh, turfed out Max's name last week, I, I went and looked at the list, and about half of the albums he's produced I own, um, half I've heard about, and some I hadn't. So I thought, well, rather than yeah, picking the really obvious stuff, I thought I'm going to go through and just listen to a bit of all of the ones I've never heard before. And I'd be absolutely completely honest, based on what I listened to a week ago, I could have chosen any one of the albums off this list, and I think it would have been a corker. So, yeah, I, I think Max Norman was amazing. He first came to my attention when I bought Black Tiger, Y&T's Black Tiger. Um, so that's why I first, that's the very first time I saw his name. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, you know, he's produced the second best band in the world and, yeah, so therefore he must be a genius. So let's start with what I've brought. I've I've avoided the obvious, I think. I could have gone for Loudness, Thunder in the East, but that would have left us with only two bands for the Japanese show that we're gonna do at some point. Uh, I could have I could have gone <laughs> I could have gone for Coney Hatch and been very happy doing that. Um but in the end I had reason to go through all of my vinyl recently uh because because i had to had to had to sacrifice some of it for a house move um but 
I, I came across this album in my vinyl and rem, sort of fleetingly thought, yeah, that was a really good album. And then it popped up on this list. I thought, right, we'll do that then. So the one that I've chosen is uh, Sabotage's 1985 release, Power of the Night. Steve. Yeah, no, that's a good call, good call. And I've, uh, I've chosen one from the same year. Like you, um, I had Coney Hatch's Outer Hand on my lengthy shortlist. Um, that qualifies as one of my, way back when we were doing um, your, your favourite ever album, Coney Hatch and Outer Hand qualifies on that shortlist for the not a bad track on it, and I love it to bits. Thought of that, thought of Licence to Kill by Malice because it's got a 10 out of 10 track on it, and I'm sure we'll do it later. Um, and I'd like you, I thought of Loudness and obviously Wine to Black Tiger, but um, I went for another one that I remembered from way back when, loved it at the time, prayed to God I still loved it now, and luckily I still do, and that's um, Armoured Saints' Delirious Nomad. Rich? I went for the Bleeding Obvious uh, to, to celebrate how good this man is, because I think he did for this band what Bob Rock did for Metallica. The balance of, of power and melody and space and layers and all the stuff I love uh, on this album is incredible. So I've just gone for it and uh, I've chosen Megadeth's Euthanasia. Fab choice. I completely agree with you. I think whether you, whether you like Euthanasia or, and Countdown to, Distinct, Countdown to Extinction or not, I do, but there will be people who don't. I, I don't think you can listen to that album, either of those albums, and think they are anything other than exceptionally well produced. So, no, good choice, good choice. Right, okay, so we also get on and listen to these three beasts. Um, but before we do that, uh, as is our want, uh, we will listen to a little snippet from some of what we've been listening to from these three bands over the last seven days. Warrior, 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 
Okay, so kicking off our Max Norman special is um, Sabotage with Power of the Night. And Mark will take you through this. Interestingly, one point of observation before you start, I'm a big Sporkle fan, you know, these online quizzes and games and that. And and one of the many ones that I do and I keep coming back to is favourite metal guitarist, rock guitarist. And one name you will never, ever see on any of those lists for reasons that I simply do not understand is the name Chris Oliver. And Mark, it's your it's your privilege and pleasure to tell us how wrong those quiz masters are and why indeed he was such a great guitarist and why this is a really good album. All yours. Opening album sleeve notes. Thank you very much. Well, yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, they bloody well should be on the list of greatest guitar rock guitarists ever because he's absolutely astonishing. Um, so, yes, Power of the Night. Um, the by sabotage uh, formed band formed by the Oliver brothers John Oliver who uh, takes care of lead vocals and keyboards on this album and as you say his brother Chris uh, who does all of the guitars the band was made up or completed by Keith Collins on bass this was his last album with the band actually and Steve Vachotz or Vachotz uh, on drums so Power of the Night it was released on May the twentieth, nineteen eighty five. Uh, no idea when it was recorded, but presumably earlier that year. Uh, it was released, uh, they were signed to Atlantic Records, which is interesting because Atlantic had had, up until the, the turn of the uh, decade, the 80s, had had a, a fairly ambivalent relationship with hard rock and heavy metal, uh, with one or two notable exceptions. Um, the album itself runs to 38 minutes and 43 seconds, obviously produced by Max Norman, and they recorded it at Bearsville Studio in New York City. So it didn't make the charts. It, In fact, it slid past it without really being noticed by anybody at all. Um, and this was Sabotage in their kind of power metal phase in the early part of their career. And for bit of context really this is not an album that would be cited i think by any sabotage fan as one of their defining pieces of work i think that would probably go for uh, either hall of mountain king or street, uh, streets or rock opera but as the band evolved and particularly up until uh, 1993 when uh, chris oliver was uh, tragically killed in a car crash i think uh, up until that point they had become quite expansive they they become very operatic in their arrangements very kind of epic broad sound so you listen to streets of rock opera and obviously as the title suggests it's an opera um, but you listen to something like the wake of magellan which was uh, released in 1997 and you can hear this sort of rich layered hugely produced soundscape which is just amazing and they're a completely different band you can listen to their later stuff and it bears with the exception of the retention of the quite hard edge guitars throughout everything they do you could listen to those to two albums from either end of their career and think they were completely different bands um john oliver i think is an interesting singer he has a number of different styles they're all in evidence on this album this is one of my favorite sabotage albums it's got 10 tracks as was the kind of uh, trend and uh, the fashion back in night 1985 side one open with power of the night 
went on with Unusual, Warriors, Necrophilia, Washed Out, and then Side 2, Hard for Love, Fountain of Youth. And we're going to go QI a bit on that a bit later on. Boys, you'll be looking forward to that. Skull Session, Stuck on You, and In the Dream. There is talk that Skull Session and Hard for Love were deliberately included in order to gain parental advisory sticker on the album cover, because as we all know, that managed that having that sticker on your cover sold a lot more copies. So there you go. That's Power of the Night, Sabotage 1985. How did you boys get on with it? Did you know it before this week? Uh, yeah, to a degree, yeah. I knew some of the stuff. But, but just before I go into that, I love the fact that the idea of putting Hard for Love and Skull Session on there as a kind of marketing ploy to get parental advisory notice was needed when there was a song on there called Necrophilia, as if that might not earn you a sticker in the first place. <laughs> I know, I know, yeah. That's all right. <laughs> Don't worry about the sex with the dead people. That's fine. We need to put something about to, yeah hard for love yeah no i didn't know no, the, the, the interesting thing about this album is you, you talked about john oliver's voice and, and and you and you pass it off into the night as it's, as it's a voice to accept it's it's really not it's a very very interesting thing <laughs> and um and we'll come to that in a minute uh, my takeaway from this album and i've thoroughly enjoyed listening to it is that because we mark these things track by track after track four this is this is in europa league contention very soon it's dropping down the table this is a top heavy album I love it. Um, I think there's a lot of really good riffs on there. There's a couple of real stinkers, which, in my marking anyway, um, it, it will suffer for recording it. But a great listen. I've loved, absolutely adored listening to Chris Oliver's guitar playing. Um, he is a genius. And as John Oliver said, the band died the day he died. And I think he's probably probably true in that respect. You know, I think they're still going, aren't they? Or, uh, or and, and, and that's fine. But, um, yeah, th- this was the best of them, wasn't it? Richard. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I really enjoyed listening to this. Um, a lovely respite this week to get back into good old riffs uh, after our progressive adventure last week. And my goodness, there are a ton on here, aren't there? Yes, yeah, fantastic guitars. I disagree with Steve. I, I think there are some uh, good songs on side two as well as side one. Um, we'll, we'll come to those in a minute. But yeah, enjoyed it. So the album opens, side one opens with. The title track, Power of the Night, and it starts off with lots of uh, very atmospheric whirring and whooshing and clanking and everything you would expect from a power metal band band and a power metal song uh, before it launches into an absolutely cracking riff. On my notes, I have got stunning riff, iffy lyrics and i think that just about sums it up <laughs> oh, the, the opening is a scene from terminator <laughs> it really is ripped off from terminator I think. yeah, yeah the, yeah. the riff kicks in my goodness hello yeah no the, the, the first three words i wrote down were wow wow and wow i just adore this riff it's, it's a brilliant riff it's a sign of things to come i think there's an awful lot of good musicianship here that there, there, there's um there's some very cool bass work in here, and there's a and there's a story to be told with the bass player as well, which I don't quite know in full. But um, he, he he didn't finish the job, or he got reworked, or something. I'm not entirely sure. But anyway, um, I don't know who wrote this or whether it was touched up. But either way, um, this is of its time power metal, and it's there's really very little to dislike about this. It's it's a really really strong opener, very strong opener. Uh, and it's completely relentless, isn't it? It never, ever lets up. 
It, even when it does, it doesn't. <laughs> Two words to say to you. Upbeats. The big notes on the riff are all on the upbeat, and that's why this is so just 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 lifts you up, kicks you. Listen, we, we, we do have to address the elephant in the room, which is John Oliver's voice. It, it will split atoms as much as opinion. Where do we sit with this? Because the, I, I hear Kevin Dubrow in here. I can hear David Wayne in here. You know, and and uh, and also John Bush in some some cases as well. Who you know we'll listen to later. Yeah, yeah. Well, the one I can hear more than anyone else is Gordon Kircher, aka aka Pile Driver. That's a dead yeah. ringer, absolute dead ringer. And a bit of King Diamond, obviously. He does like he does like a little falsetto scream from the side. Of the we've got we've got. Listen, vocalists, we've come across some pretty ropey vocalists tonight. We've got three vocalists tonight, one of whom is brilliant, and that's John Bush. And I'm waiting for a reaction from Richard. Yeah, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It doesn't diminish the quality of, of, of the musicianship or the band or anything. So track one, Power of the Night, title track, gives way to Unusual, which is an aptly named track, I think, because... It is a bit un- unusual. It's not predictable. Um, it uh, it goes in sort of quite a strange direction, actually, doesn't it? it so, thoughts? I wasn't I wasn't expecting this at all because I love Power of the Night so much, and you know you kind of think you're going to get that times two, three, four, and five, and I'd have no problem with that at all. No, no, forget that. I wouldn't have a problem with it. I'd love it, um, and it's not happened. And this is this is not a track to track, even though they put it on as track two. This is very interesting, but. It's very mean, very mean. Again, the riffs are good, um, but it's it's far more layered and complicated than um, than I was going to say it should be. But it's <laughs> that's a bit unfair. I, I really like the riffs in this this track. Uh, I completely agree with Steve. This isn't a track two. This is kind of yeah track four or a mid second side track. I like the start. Really like the start. I'm going to keep coming back to this. I think in terms of some of the riffs that they that they use, I think are absolutely fantastic, and they don't use them enough. And I think the the, the the riff at the start of the track is really really good, and they don't really come back to it much. Um, so yeah, as a result, the, the rest of the track once it gets going, it doesn't really grab me. And um, yeah, he does wail a bit on this, and it's a bit unnecessary. I think my, my my view of this track is that that it, it's almost like they've got the track by the scruff of the neck, put it against the wall, and then it kind of gets away from them. I mean, I really like it, but I know I know exactly what you mean. Mm. By the way, if, if there's any band, if there's any bands out there who, who are worried about how to order an album, just drop us a text or something because we're absolute fucking smart asses at it, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> Every yeah. episode we're putting yeah. bands right. <laughs> yeah. So Warriors is track three, and and we get a sense of what John Oliver can do with his voice when he just winds it back a bit. And uh, and interestingly, I think that that kind of range and um, versatility, whether you like what happens within the range or not, doesn't really matter. But that versatility became a, has become a trademark, or quickly became a trademark of the band. So I think we're hearing. Already in three tracks, we've heard what Sabotage will go on to become in later iterations of the band. But it's another another cracking riff, but an absolutely 
I think, and Steve's going to disagree with me here, but I think this is a really weak chorus. I, I wouldn't disagree with you on that necessarily. I think this is an actually banger. I mean, this is just so. This is just. It's just. It's just hammed up, simple, punch the air metal. You know, it's just. It's just. The, 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 my references are Maiden meets Man of War meets Pile Driver. I'll keep referring to Pile Driver. That bloody voice. It's got. It's got me thinking of the driver. And um, and because I love them so much, I just think this is an absolute banger. So it's, it's just a real fun track. I get what you say about the chorus. I do. Does it does it detract from the quality of the song? Not for me. I, I love this song. I think it's it's as good as you get in the album. So I, I think it does. I think it does detract from me. I, I think it's just such a lazy chorus that that I'm kind of going, oh, oh, that was really good right up until that. Oh, and then it goes back into the riff, and I'm like, okay, that's good. I'm quite happy with that the other thing i would say before richard kind of gives his views um interesting that this track is called warriors because it sounds very much like warrior the band doesn't it yes yes that's another one to add to the list yeah absolutely yeah i absolutely agree with steve about uh for me this is iron maiden it's got a real iron maiden gallop about it uh, but it, again, it's really weird the different riffs they've glued together because I, I mean I, I really liked at the start that there's a there's a riff they use a you know, sort of like, da, 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 like riff at the beginning that remind me of Queensrÿche. It was like Mindcrime or Empire five years earlier. This fantastic, quite complicated uh, riff, and they use it for a few bars and then throw it away. Um, and then they okay, they're into the galloping Iron Maiden bit, but it, I, I, I think I think there are lots of opportunities lost on this album to create some more interesting songs. So I get with Steve that this is you know good old fashioned fist in the air stuff, but for me it could have been better. So Warriors slides effortlessly in. Uh, that's just the wrong phrase, but it slides effortlessly into necrophilia. Again, another cracking riff. Yeah, yeah. And, and Chris Oliver's guitar is just—I uh, mean, not just in this, but all the way through this so far—is absolutely peerless. I, I don't want to prolong the necrophilia metaphors, but it gets a bit messy. This one—it's a—it's a—it's a decent chugger in it. Yeah, I've not got much to say. No, it's a really good riff. Gallops along. Yeah, interesting lyrics, and obviously a very interesting title. And the uh, sides closer is uh, a little ditty called Washed Out. They've decided to take it easy here, and they just, just slow it down a bit. Not. thought you'd probably get on quite well with this, Richard, all the screaming that's going on. <laughs> well, I was going to ask Steve, because it's the fastest track on the album. I mean, short, yeah. sharp, it's fast. I like, again, guitar, love the sort of flanged, chuggy guitar piece, but, yeah, lots of yowling. Yeah, it, it starts off with that lovely sort of rapid-fire Judas Priest drum beat, doesn't it? And then um, it stays nice and thrashy from then on. Not a lot of depth to it, but it's it's a it's a perfectly good closer. So side two opens with a track that couldn't be more different to side one if it tried. This this is hard for love. Now, Steve, you're going to tell me that this is not a, not a good track, or are you can tell me this is a great track. I'm going to tell you it's shit. But go on, you crack on. <laughs> I absolutely love this song. I really, really like this song. This bothers me enormously, this track. <laughs> I 
it's just how can you not sing this? This is in my it, this is in my head all day. Yes, sing it by all means, and I'd expect Poison to sing it, and I'd expect Great White to sing it, but I don't want Sabotage singing it. That's my problem. You're hot like a fire's hot. Here I come. X marks the spot. Fucking Motley Crue wouldn't have written that. Blackie might have done, but Motley Crue wouldn't. But yeah, you know, we, we've had a side. We've had a side one of Devil Children and Heavy Metal Maidens and Warriors wearing leather and chains, and now we're just off to some sorry bit of smut that's cheesy and grating. And the pre-chorus is good. It's just a bit lame. A bit lame. Richard, whose camp are you in? I believe this is simple fist in the air metal. <laughs> yep, I agree. And, and there's 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 enough smut all over the rest of the album. I think I think you know the, the chorus harmonies are great. It's got a nice lift. I like the again very varied uh, guitar riffs. I really like the riff under the verses in this one. So yeah, it's a good song. Good start to side two. Got a fabulous hook line. You know, it's not consistent with what we've spent you know, the last 15, 16 minutes listening to. So I, I take the point. I still like it. I still like it. Yeah, no, and, I don't, and, I, and I don't mind bands doing different things, and, and there's more to come that's, that is slightly different. I mean, they're showing their dexterity, if nothing else. I just don't it's, – It's just it just leaves me a bit cold, that's all. I, I get exactly what you're saying about the musicality. There's, there's some good riffs in that, but that's almost a given with Sabotage. But I just it – just, it's just – I don't know. It's just, it's just not for me. Okay, so – Track two, side two. It's a little ditty called Fountain of Youth. Now, having gone from X Marks the Spot and some kind of sex ditty that opened side two, we're now back in 15th century Spain with uh, Ponce de Leon looking for the Fountain of Youth in the Caribbean seas as part of Christopher Columbus's second expedition to America, former governor of Puerto Rico, uh, yeah, Puerto Rico, and looking for the m- mythical fountain of youth that is supposed to be uh, found on an island that doesn't exist, as far as modern uh, day historians are concerned, in Benin, which is north of the Bahamas. So um, we've gone from kind of just shagging to something entirely epic and literary. <laughs> Tune's not bad either. Well, I knew nothing about. That. Have you just made that up? I didn't know any no. of that. That's true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't alter my view of the song, which is it's very good. It's, I love. It's a it's a good no nonsense slow paced head bang. Little bit dark. Little slight mood change at the end. I, I think it's a great song. Very good song. We agree. Mm. Richard. Yeah. So did really really like this. Uh, that that balance is, is heavy, melodic. This has got a good structure. This has got a good structure to it. I think it's the best structured song on the album in terms of how they mix the the, the tones and the and the, the tempo uh, together. Um, nice light bit you know, in the middle, and then it builds again. Yeah, really like it. So, Fountain of Youth, uh, we wave goodbye to uh, Ponce de Leon as he sails off across the Caribbean in search of the Fountain of Youth. And we're back into sex, and more specifically, blowjobs. Skull session. Yeah, so this was that other uh, the other track that uh, earned them the parental guidance, wasn't it, as the marketing yeah. boy? Yeah. I, I quite like this. I mean, I, I, it's all right. It's all right. Yeah, it's okay for me. 
It's all right. Skull Session, X-rated lesson. I think that's all we need to know, isn't it? Let's move it on. So the penultimate track on the album is um, well, it's another sex song uh, called Stuck On You. And uh, mainly, I mean, we've we've had kind of straight sex. We've had oral sex. Now we're going for anal sex. It's the whole, it's the holy trinity, all on one album. All on one side. Yeah, it's all on one side. Yeah. Oliver's 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 shrieking almost ruins this, but it's um, again a great rip. Just you've got to play this turned up. You've got to play all this album turned up. It's it thunders along. There's a really really fantastic break into the riff after the guitar solo, which again is just princely because oliver is a prince that's oliver c not oliver j yeah it's it's i like this I like this a lot yeah i love the the chug just really just really really good fun yeah but yes the uh yeah the lyrics i want to take a piece of your precious behind this is the, but this is what gets me this is what i i kind of i love about this album is you know you do go from sort of maiden-esque epic soundscapes rooted in uh, 15th century Caribbean buccaneering discovery adventurers and, uh, right the way through to this lyrically it's just it, it, it's really odd it's I mean wonderfully eclectic it is but, but I mean beyond beyond all that and what, what they stick down on a piece of papers and tie it up to them it's just the, the whole thing is just it's just the backdrop of this power metal is is priceless. They can say what they want, you know, because the music's so damn good. So the final track on the album is called In the Dream. Steve, I think we'll start with you, shall we? No. I mean, just no. This is Poison meets Christopher Cross. It's just fucking awful. It's um the one that the, the, is, I mean, you'll have to explain it. It's, it's just a throwaway mid-80s hair metal ballad that they should never go anywhere near. Even the solo doesn't even fit. And if there's one thing that you think you can rely on with sabotage, it's um, maybe he, maybe Chris Oliver hates the bloody thing as well. So it's just not a good track, not a good track at all. Poor finish. I agree. It sounds like a different band. Uh, and I don't know why they put it at the end of, the, of this album. Yeah, it doesn't do it for me. Uh, lots of reviews online. People absolutely love this song. I think it's one of the best things that the band ever did. But um, personally, I don't get it. It's kind of the the sabotage or power of the night equivalent to um, Bad Steve's, what was it called? Across the Rainbow, wasn't it? But not as good. Not as Across the Rainbow was cheesy, but... You kind of quite liked it, didn't you? And this is just awful. I don't know what they were thinking. It comes back to the thing that we always say. Why, why put 10... If, if this is the best you can do for your 10th track, leave the album at nine tracks, right? Mm. I was just going to say, it's an odd choice of song. It's, it's an odd place to stick it. You see Y&T are masters of signing off an album with a big, powerful ballad. No one does it better than them. Um, but this isn't a good ballad, and they shouldn't have done it. Yeah, the reviews I've read suggest that it pointed towards sort of their their direction. Is that right? I mean, I'm not. I, I really don't know the band at all, so I'm not able to comment. That, that, no, I don't think it. I, 
it's difficult. No, I don't think it does because I think when sabotage kind of disappeared down a more sort of operatic road, they were they did it really cleverly. I mean, all of their stuff, their later stuff from streets onwards is really, really clever. And I'm not saying that the stuff that they did when Chris Oliver was around isn't, because it is, but it was a different band. And John Oliver's absolutely right. You know, that sabotage died when he did. But as they progress and they mature and they, they kind of go further down their career, um, they they come up with stuff that I suppose you could relate back to this, but it's so much better and it's so much more complex and considered and technically gifted, I suppose, or technically adroit um, in a way that this just isn't, I think. Mm. That's really interesting. And also, of course, I suppose one thing worth mentioning, of course, is that because we're doing, um, you know, this is a Max Norman special, um, this was the one and only album he did, yet they stayed with Atlantic. I presume there's no reason why he didn't do another one other than other commitments, I'm guessing. And how does his stuff mark compared to with, uh, Paul O'Neill did most of their later stuff, didn't he? Sort of Hall of the Mountain King and Gutter Ballet and Streets and all that sort of stuff. Um, is it possible to draw comparisons? They got, um, got proggier, didn't they? I think that's a fair got, comment. Yes, that is a fair comment. They, I think they, they, you know, by by the time I think their last album was, what, 2001, something like that? I mean, they still, I think they're still a touring band. But, yeah, come 2001, um, so Wake of Magellan was – uh, 97, I can't remember the name of the last album they did. But yes, I suppose you might say at that point they were were a prog band because they were you know, more sort of concept album-y. Still really, really well produced. I think the one trademark of, of Sabotage from beginning to end rather than the two bands that split when uh, Chris Oliver dies, um, the one thing that all of their albums have in common, I think, with the possible exception of the first one is they are really 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 well produced so there we are highs and lows steve start with you yeah no prizes for guessing the low that's in the dream by quite some distance yeah there's two or three i really liked at the top end i loved power of the night i think it's a fantastic opener but warriors for me just just my kind of head bang richard yeah the in the dream as well for me in terms of a low and at the top end I think Fountain of Youth will just nip it from Power of the Night. Okay, so we're very close. I mean, it's a hat trick for In the Dream, uh, perhaps unsurprisingly. But my high point was the title track. So I suppose you could say it went downhill from num- from the first opening track, but I don't think that's quite says tells the whole story, does it? Uh, so yeah, Power of the Night was mine. So there you go. Power of the Night, Sabotage, uh, the first of our trilogy of albums produced by Max Norman. Right, so let's move on to album number two of our Max Norman special. And we fast forward just a little to late 1985 and an album by Armoured Saint. Steve, your choice. Take us through it. Opening album sleeve notes. Mm, not just any album. This is Delirious Nomad. And I, I sense Mark can explain himself later. I'm not going to let him do it now. He can shut up for a bit. But I sense discord, disquiet when I, I chose this one from all the abundant riches um, that Max Norman came up with. And 
uh, well, I presume he's um, re- reviewed his earlier opprobrium because it's, um, you know, this is this is this is a beast. This is their second album. Previous one was called March of the Saint. They've done an EP first um, in 1983. Such a good EP that they got signed by Chrysalis on the strength of it, which is impressive in itself. And this is, as I say, this is their um, their second full album, uh, released in October 85. Again, recorded during that year, I guess. Um, 42 minutes long, give or take, with Max Norman at the helm. Um, and they were delighted to get him. Joey Vera has made that abundantly clear in interviews that they, they, they sought him out. They were very disappointed with the previous um, producer, Michael Jackson, not the Michael Jackson, a Michael Jackson, um, on March of the Saint. And there was a whole thing, because they're from L.A., Armored Saint, and if you're in an L.A. band in the mid-'80s with long hair, you're, you're immediately being thought of as, you know, the next Motley Crue or something, and, and they didn't want to go anywhere near that kind of thing. And they got a sense that Jackson on March of the Saint, which I actually think is a pretty good album, wanted to send them down a more commercial route, and they, they, and they, they genuinely didn't want to know. So that's where we are with Armoured Saint at this time. There were a five-piece going into this album. There were a four-piece coming out of it. John Bush, the vocalist. Dave Pritchard, another one. Another 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 great missing guitarist from Sporkle's lists, Dave Pritchard. Uh, Joey Vera, the world's hardest-working bass player. Just Google him. He's just done so much and still doing so much. Uh, and then there were the Sandoval brothers, Gonzo on drums and uh, Phil, as was, on guitars. But Phil left during the recording of this album and then came back later on. Don't know much about sales info other than to say it didn't do very well. As we've said before, 10 tracks. They knew how to divvy them up in the 80s. Uh, five on the front, five on the back. And I've always been very fond of it. And I've forgotten quite how fond of it I was until I came back to it. And I've had, um, I've had a great few days reminding myself of what a good and underrated band um, Armoured Saint really were. Still going now. We are talking about John Bush, well, the best singer of this episode and one of the great, great rock voices. And I don't know whether you two agree, but I've said it, so it doesn't matter. So anyway, Mark, have you, um, have you seen The Light? <laughs> yes, I, I thought from the long list of Max Norman produced or engineered albums that you could have chosen when your WhatsApp pinged in on Wednesday morning of uh, Thursday morning of last week, I thought, oh, God, he's had all of this. Could have chosen anything. Could have chosen anything. And he's and he's chosen Delirious Fucking Nomad by Armored Saint. And I just thought I I don't like the album. I've never really much liked it. I listened to the first couple of tracks when I bought it um, because, I, like you, I quite like March of the Saint, and and I just thought, well, there was a there's there's a reason why I haven't listened to the rest of this album, and the the, the reason for that is it's shit. So there there are two things that I've learned this week. The first thing that I've learned is that music is wasted on the young, um, and the second thing that I've learned is I'm a complete cunt because. Um, <laughs> Because I absolutely loved this album. Absolutely love it. There isn't a single track on this album that I have scored lower than seven. And it is just front to back the most fun I've had this week. So thank you for choosing it. Uh, I'm the twat, not you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I knew that. And, and, I, and I'm glad you were the yeah, so Rich, Riffmeister, Riffmeister Special. You must have loved it, surely. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's been a joy. All three albums, complete joy to listen to this week. This grew on me 
Uh, I mean, I enjoyed the riffs, but it took me a few listens to really get into the the songs. And yeah, yeah, I really, really like John Bush as as a vocalist. Whether he contributes to a band as a whole, as much as our third vocalist this evening, we'll talk about in a minute. But uh, really enjoyed his vocals on this album. Yes, brilliant. And we'll, we'll get to, a, to towards the back end of this when we're reviewing it. You'll have to talk to me about what Max Norman brings to it because. Um, as I say, they were they were determined to get him and use him, and you know my limited knowledge and my poor ear for things like that would suggest he did a great job. But you know, talk us through it later. It's the right timing for an album. It's five tracks on side one, five on side two. Side one is uh, "Nervous Man," "Over the Edge," "The Laugh," and "Conqueror," all preceded by less than three minutes. And you don't need more than three minutes when it's this good. Two minutes, 47 seconds of Long Before I Die, which is, well, it's just a, it's just a brilliant, a brilliant opener. Um, great riff. Dave Pritchard solo, of, of which there are many on this album. None of them are wrong. Um, and it's just, a, it's, a, it's a powerful way to kick off the album, I think. Really, really good song. Very different from already you're already witnessing. Very, very different um, from what went before. Yeah. Great opener. Yeah, I agree. Love the changes, love the little fills. I've written down the words here, slow thrash. And it, and it's, it reminded me in terms of its structure and the fills and, and his voice, like a, a slightly slower version of Anthrax. Yeah, I get that. Uh, every reason why Scott Ian turned to John Bush when they fired jo- Joey Belladonna is right here in this track. Right. It's great. And there's enough going on in it that, you, that you're never bored. It's all really, really good, but you, you're just waiting for that riff to come back. I really, really like this track. It's not my favourite on the album, but I really like it. So, yeah, Long Before I Die is, well, it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic way to start an album. And at that point, when that comes to an end, you're really happy. And then track two comes in and you just reach a new level of happiness. This is Nervous Man, which is, I remember... This takes me back 35 years to the reason why I loved this album in the first place. I just figured out why I loved this album originally. And this, to me, is it's, it's almost rock perfection. That opening, the, the, the kind of opening from hell or, or heaven, if you're a religious person, it's just the perfect opening, if you know what I mean. Um, stunning, yeah. And they come back into that riff as well later on. It's, they bring it back so effortlessly. You know, the segues and bridges are brilliant in this. I just think this is a... Awesome track. Because <laughs> I sent you a WhatsApp, didn't I, going, I may have to rethink my view of this album because I've listened to three and it's really, really good. And now I said, but there's still another seven, so they've got time to fuck it up. Um, but the first four tracks on this album just get better and better and better. Just really good. And you're right, that the way they go back into that kind of the intro and then bring it all back. It's just great. Love it. Absolutely love it. Rich, you, you, you've got to enjoy this. Okay, this is a good track too. They've laid the stall out with the opener, and now they're saying, right, sit back and enjoy the ride. Uh, I mean, the chuggy riff, I like the stops in it, nice short solos, the harmonies in the vocals, and then the change in tempo uh, later on. So I, I think, you know, get them, Versus my compar- compar- comparing this to, to Sabotage, I think the structure of the songs pretty much across this album are far, far better in terms of how they manage the tempo and the, the various elements. 
So right, so these boys have now ticked the opener box. They've ticked track two box. You're thinking, so there's a weak link coming soon, ain't there? Oh, no. Oh, no, friends. They're getting better. You just think the album is about to peak. This We're now at over the edge, and we're hitting unbelievable heights. It's got Diamond Head all over it. It's just fantastic. This this is the first opportunity we've had so far. We've, we've had two real good rockers, and now we're showcasing the, the real vocal talents of John Bush, both sides of John Bush, because there's, there's some lovely sort of bouncing, groovy, kind of almost jazzy bits in there, you know, that he's singing over. And then, but when he wants to rock, man, he can rock. One of the great singers, one of the great singers. I'm not overdoing this, am I? It's a great voice. This would have been a real disappointment to me because it wasn't an out-and-out rocker. And, and and this is a recurring theme for me as we've gone through this podcast, that albums that I had written off actually are outstanding albums. I just didn't appreciate them at the time. This is a, this is a beautifully constructed, brilliantly executed, fantastic song. Yeah, it gets it, it gets the word epic from me. Rich, you'll love it, won't you? You love a bit of jazz and a bit of groove and a bit of a bit of everything, but but all balanced. Yeah, this has got a fantastic balance. Yeah, it's a contender for my favourite track on the album. I didn't think about Diamond Head until Mark said it, but yeah, yeah, it's light, it's airy, it's bouncy throughout. There's lovely quiet piece in the middle with a atmospheric solo. And then the riff comes back and it builds again. Just the kind of song I like. And then, I mean, it, it, you know, again, it strips back again towards the end. And then it, towards the, the end of the track, it just builds and builds and builds and builds and builds and finishes. And yep, perfect. On the back of that opening, on the back of that opening groove of a riff as well, it, that, that finish is massive. It's just absolutely sensational. And so to track four, which has the added disadvantage of following track three, and this is The Laugh which is a great song. It's a great song. Unfortunately, follows a pair of metal giants in the two previous tracks. Um, but, yeah, I like it a lot. A bit, I, I've got a problem with this. And, Mark, you mentioned the first four tracks, which gives the impression that you haven't got quite the problem I have with this. Do you like this one? I think this is better. Yeah, I think this is better than, than Over the Edge. Marginally, very, very marginally. But, yeah, the, the, as I said, the first four tracks improved incrementally in terms of how I've ranked them. So, no, I love this. I think it's really hooky. I love the riff. This is this was going around my head for hours after I'd finished the album. So, yeah, I think that's a measure of the song, really. So, yeah, I, this shows kind of how playful John Bush can be as well as a vocalist. Yeah, that's interesting. I've got uh, my slight issue with this, Rich, is I've got uh, I just think this track loses its way a bit towards the end and gets a that final kind of minute or so is just a wee bit too cheesy for me, if I'm honest. But I don't know what do you think. This this doesn't know what else to do with itself after three minutes. I think it's, I think it's a good song, really straightforward, solid, fast, good fun. For for me, it's not not as good as the um, the three tracks that preceded it, not by a lot. But, um, yeah. yeah, and so Delirious Nomad, side one, finishes um, with a track called Conqueror, which is pretty no-nonsense piece of power metal. It's, it's, it's about as simple as we've had so far from them. One of the cricket, one of the quicker tracks, one of two that are noticeably quicker than the rest on this album. 
just, I, do you know what? I just think this goes on a bit, really. That would be my only criticism of it. I think this could stop at three and a half minutes easily. This is a this for me. This is a significant step down from where we've been. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. It's rushed. Okay, and we're into side two. And for the fucking sake of heaviness, can we not come up with a track called "For the Sake of Heaviness," which is a great, great song. Great song. After a couple of kind of modest, well, one particularly modest track within the side one, Armored Saint are suddenly back to doing what they do best with a proper just riff. <laughs> just do it, boys. But beyond that, again, so many moving parts of this song again, and it's um, and fantastic bass work. We've not mentioned the bass work of, of Joey Vera. I called him the world's hardest working bass player, and just a man who seems to have appeared in about 48 different bands, and he still was touring with Merciful Fate, and it's still going on, and he's, they've got a new album out, Armored Saint, and he's on that. And just Anyway, bass work in this is brilliant, brilliant song. What a way to open side two. It's a fantastic opener, isn't it? And Bush again, Bush's Bush's vocals over the top of, of some of this. Uh, it's uh, exemplary. Really, really good song. That 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 guitar lick on the bridge that that puts bizarrely puts me in mind of Susie and the Banshees. It's got this lovely kind of signature to it. You're on fire tonight with your parallels, aren't you? We've had accepts, Diamond Head, Susie and the Banshees, man. In fact, we'll get the Wombles soon. When, when are they going to turn up? <laughs> I love this. Yeah, absolutely love it. Timing changes, fantastic. Brilliant riff. Uh, this could have opened the album as well. Yes, I echo that. Yeah. Rich? Yeah, I like the melodies. I think it's a really good, strong start to the second half. Um, I, don't, I, I felt this song had two halves. I think it's a really, really good song. I think it could have been made even better if they'd mixed some of the melodies up it, it felt like that some of the melodies in the the start of the, the first half didn't come back in the second half i'm, a, I'm being really picky but I, I think it could have been even better blooming good song but could have been better they were trying things weren't they well i think i think it it's probably worth bringing in about about max and his role in these bands uh, i mean i'll talk more about his role i felt as a fifth member of megadeth later um, and that's why I was almost a bit disappointed with the sabotage because he, from what I can see about him, he really works with bands around their arrangements and the songs and what works where, um, and, and it, it really comes out in this album. I, I think he's had quite an influence on how they've uh, structured these songs and put this stuff together. In this track, you also get the, the thing that Armoured Saint are absolute masters of, which is slowing everything right down and then building it all back up again, which you you hear an awful lot on the next album, Raising Fear, as well, which is also a fantastic album. Carrying on from what Mark was just saying there, we come into Aftermath, which is ostensibly something of a kind of break from hard rock convention. In, 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 if you imagine, I'm implying stuff here, but, you know, the acoustic harmonic intro into something big and heavy, well, they've just turned that on its head. They've, they've, they've done the big, seriously heavy opening um, into something really nice and acoustic and harmonic. So the, the, the big riffing intro is a kind of start cell on its own. Um, but then two minutes in, they strip it all back um, with some the, the other side of Armoured Saint, basically. Um, and once again, an opportunity to celebrate the voice of, of John Bush. Yeah, I don't know what you think. I, I, th- I, think, this is a, I think this is the highlight of side two for me. It's not just the highlight of side two. It's the highlight of the whole album highlight the whole album uh, i've written down here unassuming intro 
predictable riff, and then it goes somewhere absolutely magical. I'd I, I pick you up on that. I don't even think the risk predictable. I just think it's unimaginable. I just think it's fantastic anyway from start to finish. But yeah, there you go. The start reminds me of Animal Magnetism by the Scorpions. And then, yeah, then it then into the that bone crunching riff. And then it just settles into this wonderful groove. So yeah, um, best song on Site for me. And it's my co contender for the song on the album. Credit words. I know Phil Sandoval, the. Guitarist who was sacked, who came back in, did did well, didn't he left and then came back in? He did play a part in this. Oh, this is all about Dave Pritchard, the late great Dave Pritchard, by the way, who's um, died far too young at twenty six, depriving us of a not a brilliant guitarist. Everything about this band is is original, you know. It's just they're, they're trying things. They haven't thrown this together. It's a really, really. It's not ahead of its time, of course. It's not, but it's a really, really well thought through album. So how do you two rate it? I mean, you're a bit, you know I'm going to say way more than I do. How do you rate it versus their other albums? I think it's the best they did. I, I, if you'd asked me eight days ago, I'd have said Raising Fear was their best album, um, followed by March of the Saint, followed by this. But I have completely changed my mind this week. This is an outstanding album by any definition. I was listening I was listening to March of the Saint earlier, and I, I still love – I still – get a great buzz out of tracks like Madhouse and indeed March of the Saint. And, um, you know, who doesn't love isolation off, off Raising Fear, which is a great, just a high point of another great album. I, I've always thought this was better than those two. And I think they're the, they're the three, aren't they, Mark? I think you'd, you'd judge Armored Saint by. Simpler Salvation's all right. Yeah, okay, yeah. And I've got a question for you. Have you you've seen the lyrics. Who's Rowan? No idea. I was wondering the same thing. I've got a hunch. If anyone out there knows, they can come back to us on this. Get onto the website. Drop us a line. I think it's there was a there was a guy called Bob Rowan who was a whistleblower in the nuclear industry in the late sixties and early seventies. And I know this is very much in the aftermath. It's pretty clear where we're going here with this song. In the whole, is very similar. They were clearly a kind of politically. We're not talking MC Five here, but they had a thing about nuclear war. I get that. That's. As good as I could find. There's very little. I've, I've seen nothing chronicled about it, but that was my thought. Anyone knows any better? Let us know. So anyway, you could, we're now on. This is in the hole. I can tell Max Norman's in the house because I'm getting a very malice opening here. <laughs> I get another great song. Backbeat again. It just kicks and it kicks. Another great solo. Great song. Although what what this what this track does have, and listeners. Be patient with it. There's a military drum beat into the finest 15 seconds of music on this album, or indeed any album. There you go. Just a little nugget. Okay, track nine, track four on side two, the penultimate track. Call it what you will. This is "You're Never Alone." It's a bit, it's a bit different to some of the other stuff. Still heavy, and they're not compromising on on the riffs. It's fine. It doesn't excite me in quite the same way as some of the stuff. It's a bit more straightforward, isn't it? Yeah. It's a song that's got a beginning for an, uh, sorry, an ending for a beginning. Because <laughs> yeah. big rolls on the toms and, and the power chords. Uh, like the groove, really good groove to it. But yeah, I think it's interesting, isn't it? There, there, there do seem to be two types of songs on this album. They've got some real complexity of the ones we've, we've already discussed. For me, these last three are much more sort of traditional. 
And they're not they're not bad songs. They're good songs. But as we say so often, it's about the company that they're keeping. So whilst I wouldn't lift the needle off at the end of this album, I'd like to feel as excited as I did earlier on. That's a, that's a really good way of putting it. And I'd add to that by saying I've kind of run out of steam a little bit, even if they haven't. I haven't run out of steam yet. I've run out of steam at the end of this. I think what I've written down here is that this track doesn't give John Bush anywhere to go with the song. Mm. He's quite constrained within very fixed parameters because that's what the song is. Um, Whereas everything else, there's been an interesting kind of breaks and deviations that have allowed him to experiment a bit and, and go off in different directions. And this this doesn't do that, but I I still really like this song. Uh, My observation about the album as a whole is that both sides end in an almighty rush and and the album suffers because of it yeah well i mean mark's introduced nicely then the final track which is released which is as he suggests quite similar to conqueror which signed off side one and it is quick and this was the other one i was talking about earlier the uh, the two tracks on the album that are above mid pace (laughs) it's conqueror and released and i don't get i don't get the sense that this is ever out of control i never got the sense of, of that with with conqueror either I just don't think you're seeing Armoured Saints at their best when they're doing this. I really no, don't. I agree. This makes me come out of the album less excited than I would have been if this hadn't been on the album. I agree with everything you've said. Yeah, it's fast. It's yeah, it, it's fun. It's fast, but nothing to say beyond that, really. That's fair enough. But anyway, I'm not going to feel down. I'm not going to feel down about Delirious Nomad because it's been um, it's been. Oh, it's been a privilege and a treat to revisit an old favourite. And now let's talk about highs and lows, shall we? Um, Mark, do you want to kick this off? If you can find a low and a high for us, please. So uh, there is no low because uh, every track has scored seven or above. The track that I've scored the lowest is the final track on the album released. And by a, a fair distance, my high is Aftermath. Okay. Richard? It's between the last track on side one and the last track on side two, so released in Conqueror. Uh, in terms of a high, as I said, it's between Aftermath and Over the Edge. Oh, it depends what mood I'm in. Tonight, probably Aftermath would shave it, but previously I've gone for Over the Edge. So, yeah, hard to choose between two of them. Well, I'll, I'll ditto your weak spots. When I think highs, I just can't get that nervous man opening out my head, but... I, I do adore, simply adore that, but it is trumped by the exceptional Over the Edge for me. That's been a great album. I fancy, I've got a high hopes that it's going to do pretty well in our Hall of Fame. Here's hoping. So that was Armoured Saint, uh, Delirious Nomad from 1985. Two down, one to go, which leaves the floor free for Richard, who's going to introduce Megadeth's Euthanasia, Richard. Opening album sleeve notes. Right, Euthanasia. This is the sixth studio album uh, from Megadeth. It uh, was recorded, well, I'll come back to when it was recorded. It was released in November in 1994 uh, through Capsule Records. It's 49 minutes and 57 seconds in length. And the personnel on it, well, it's the classic Megadeth lineup, which is Dave Mustaine, 
on vocals and guitar, Marty Friedman on lead guitar, Dave Ellison on bass, and uh, the wonderful Nick Menza, God rest his soul, on drums. Uh, it did pretty well for them. Following up Countdown to Extinction, it uh, got to uh, number six in uh, the UK chart and number four in the US chart. It was recorded, it says, throughout 1994. Um, they actually approached Max, I think, right at the beginning of the year. But at the time, they hadn't got a studio. Dave Mustaine wanted to record in Phoenix, where he was going through rehab, I think, for various uh, substances. And they couldn't find a studio that they liked. There was one that was good enough, but they didn't really get on with the owner. So Max decided that they should build one. So they built a studio in a warehouse in uh, Phoenix. And uh, yeah, so I think this studio was ready around May time. And so they recorded it through through the summer of, uh, of, of 1994. I thought, whilst amongst my favourites, it wasn't my favourite Megadeth album. Uh, but my goodness, I've loved it uh, this last week, uh, listening to it again. Gentlemen, any opening remarks? Well, yeah, my, my first one is this. Clearly, Norman and and the band have moved heaven and earth to get this kind of production set up going. And yet, by the end of it, and I'll give you this quote, Mustaine explaining why he decided to quit his collaboration with Max Norman. Max came up with this bullshit formula that every song had to be 120 beats per minute to get on the radio. When people make drastic decisions to do things like that and it backfires, it usually ends up in one way or another costing them their jobs. So I'm getting a sense, like, I love this album, but I'm getting, let's face it, a Megadeth ship is rarely a happy ship <laughs> because of the personality of the main man. We, we all know that. But he gives the impression that it really wasn't a, a fantastic working relationship between the two, which is extraordinary, because what I'm hearing is phenomenal. I don't know the backstory to why they fell out of love on the strength of this album. The stuff I've read about them and to see the film that's available on YouTube about the recording of the album, it, it, it would appear they got on like a house on fire. Should we just put that down as Mustaine being Mustaine? Well, it all comes back, doesn't it, to, to Mustaine. I mean, he's a bloody redhead, you know, fiery. I mean, he is, you know, he's, he's, he's bonkers, you know. He always has been. Uh, it's part of what makes him who he is and... Yeah, you know, gives the band the edge. I mean, they're not they're not an angry band for no reason. I mean, all of that simmering angst and trauma and and resentment and menace and spitting is you know, all part and parcel of Mustaine's personality. And that is why they're such a brutal band in the studio, um, you know, in terms of the sound, and why they're such a brutal band live. And I wonder whether Norman was under pressure to commercialize euthanasia in the same way that countdown to extinction had been commercialized i mean that was that was a, um, i think a much more commercially accessible album than this one in some ways yeah you know, they released an album called capital punishment which was all about how they felt they'd been enslaved and imprisoned by their record company so you know clearly there's an issue with the record company as well you know at some point maybe now who knows and i think i think what's happened is capital have gone well, Countdown to Extinction did rather well. We'll have another one of those, thank you very much, Mr. Norman. And dispatch the producer to go to to recreate what he had rec- re- what he had created two years previously. And I think 
probably Mustaine felt, well, we've been there and we've done that and that isn't what we're about anyway. You know, we want to move on and experiment and, you know, and evolve in the way that we have done over the previous album. So who knows? Who knows what the what the angst was? But clearly it was not a happy ship. And as you say, Steve, you know, that is the nature of, of Megadeth, isn't it, in the end? Yeah. And I think, to, to, to be fair, to you, you take whatever Mustaine says with the picture, so he, he said very much the same thing about Dan Huff couple of albums later you know and, and d- d- apparently you know cryptic writings and risk have been you know perfectly good albums um and he was apparently you know more than happy enough with huff to carry on and do the next album but that, that, that fell apart as well with the according acronym that always seemed to go with this sort of thing so yeah maybe it's maybe it's just a mustane thing right jesus fucking christ <laughs> um I remember the first time I dropped the needle onto this album and Michael J. Fox style was blown across the opposite wall. Uh, It starts with Reckoning Day and I think sets out the store for the whole album. Uh, Whatever the acrimony or anything else, the balance they achieved on this record of melody and power is absolutely phenomenal. And I think this opening track captures it perfectly. I love the production of this album. Let's not kid ourselves that we're going into um, any new or different territory with this album. We're getting Megadeth Mark VI, aren't we? we we're, we're just getting classic dollop of Megadeth from start to finish. It's, it's nasty. It's sneering. All those telltale key changes that they do so well. It just thunder. I mean, I love my music heavy, and this is this is proper heavy. Well, cards on the table. I'm not quite the Megadeth fan that, say, Mark is. I'm certainly not the Megadeth fan that Richard is, who's off the scale, David Mustaine's love child. I, I do probably prefer the, the thrashiness of Killing Is My Business if, of all their albums, if I'm honest. But set that all aside, this is, let's get back to Reckoning Day. It's an, it's an awesome way to start an album. It's just that so heavy, consistent, even when they do that little thoughtful interludes, they do it over a really heavy backdrop. It's just... Um, Oh yeah, no, it's it, it's gut shattering. It's brilliant stuff. You're getting a hell of a lot of track in here for four minutes, whatever it is, thirty four seconds. It's it's interesting you, you you kind of reference the fact that I'm a fan of Megadeth. I actually have a a, a fairly difficult relationship with Megadeth because I, I can pick off every album. I can pick some tracks that I think are absolutely amazing, but every album has tracks that I can't stand. So it's it's a real kind of bittersweet. Megadeth is a real, not so much this album, actually. I think this album is far more consistent. I think the highs on Countdown to Extinction are higher than the highs on this, but I think the lows on Countdown to Extinction are lower than the lows on this. So this is a more consistent listen for me, but but I have I have difficulty with, with you know, a fair percentage of what Megadeth have turned out over their career. So yeah, I think um I, I really I love this album. I do. But yeah, I'm not a I'm not a slavish devotee. It's interesting what you say, Mark, about the um the what what Mustaine thought about the drums, because obviously on, on this first album <laughs> uh, Max has decided to fade everything else out and it finishes with Nick Menza absolutely belting seven shades out of some toms before it then slows down a bit. <laughs> <laughs> into track two and uh, Trailer Consequences with um, some fantastic choppy uh, guitar 
in uh, intros and the, the main riff. Yeah, this was the first single off the album, wasn't it, apparently? Uh, yeah. Shortest track on the album. Probably of all of the, the on the album, it's probably the track I'm least bothered about. I, this is where Mustaine's voice just kind of grates with me a little bit on this track. But it's, it's you know, the, the, again, we're talking about levels and this is a high level, this is not as high as some of the other stuff on the album. No, I, I think I'd agree with that. I, this is, um, I could take or leave this track, to be mm-hmm. honest. Yeah, it's interesting with Dave's voice, isn't it? Mustaine's voice. I guess it fits into the Geddy Lee school, doesn't it? It's perfect for this band. He's, he's, he's not a vocal virtuoso, never was, never will be, but absolutely spot on for Megadeth. And, yeah, it's his band, isn't it? So he's built, he's built the music around his voice. All of the stories about the breakdown of the relationship with Max Norman all of the upheaval that you get with every Megadeth lineup, and people wonder why he didn't last in Metallica. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, I think he's recently come out and said that he should have been thrown out of Megadeth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <he did>. yeah. <laughs> what, I, what, what I do find with Dave Mustaine, because he's so front and centre with this band vocally, I could listen to Megadeth tracks all day, all day long, but in album, a whole album becomes quite a tough listen towards the end. I'm just... Because the voice just wears on me eventually, it just kind of wears mm. me down. Um, that's just how it is. Because there's there's actually nothing wrong with him. You know, you know, I'm not criticising the bloke. He is he is Megadeth. You know, I mean, but I'd love listening to the music and track by track, brilliant. But small doses for me. Okay, so let's move on to track three of side one, uh, addicted to chaos. Again, Menzer's drums dominate the opening, and then the guitars fade in. With, I mean, for me, another superb riff. A song about um, a close friend um, that, that Mustaine had, apparently, who was kind of the, a constant in his life and a bit of a calming influence when Mustaine freely admitted that his life was absolute chaos. You do you do get a sense of... There's, there's a rage in Mustaine that you get a sense of throughout any album because he, he seethes, it seethes. I, th- I, think this is, I think this is an absolute princely piece of work. I just love, I love everything about it. I love the beat, the riff, the pre-chorus, the chorus, the, the bridge out of the chorus. It's just nasty all the way through. It's, it's, a, it's a fantastic, but flows, flows perfectly. But a lot of the time, it, I mean, it's, it's the thing with, it, it, his bile is directed at himself, as in this song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he, I, I can't help but think every time I listen to Megadeth that Dave Mustaine really ought to be in therapy. But this is his therapy, yeah. you know. This uh, and and that's what I realise is that everything he feels gets poured out onto Megadeth's albums, and what that means is it it becomes a really authentic, real listen. Because whether you like the music or you don't like the music, it's honest. Track four, third one is Atulamond. Um, a lovely start again vocally. He calms it down a little in the early stages, for a bit. Uh, apparently, this, this is a song MTV band, and uh, lots of comments about it being uh, su- suicidal and uh, lyrics thought that was all about suicide. But actually, uh, Mustaine said it was uh, based on a dream he had when his mother came back from the other side and talked to him. Yeah, he, c- he, can, say what, he can say what he likes, and he can write the words in French all he likes. It sounds like a suicide <laughs> <No>. <laughs> It does read. It does read like it. Whatever it he said. Yeah. 
It's a wonderful song. It's a wonderful song. Lovely flow again. Great track. And uh, Toulomond is followed on side one by Elysian Fields, which pretty much explodes out the blocks, really. Yeah. <laughs> Straight in. The, the melody in this, mm. I think that's why. Because because Reckoning Day is a full-on assault, isn't it? Mm. It, it comes and just kind of smacks you in the face. Whereas this is slightly more arch and beguiled. Mm. Mm. I'm getting the magpie theme tune, but anyway, I'm showing my age. I, th- I think, as you say, the, the brilliant harmonies in the vocals, but as a song, this is more traditional Megadeth. Again, it's interesting, isn't it? Drawing the comparisons with Armoured Saint, we're liking the com- complex songs and then we're a bit more critical of those that are a bit more standard and and traditional I mean this is classic Megadeth in terms of the the riffs this this gets in your ear and it sticks there so then side one finishes with the killing road uh, a song all about being on the road and being a bit hacked off with it it's almost like every band has to do it though I'm I just get so <laughs> tired of hearing Life's a bitch on the road. It's like, yeah, well, just remember that when you're putting the next million in your back pocket, Dave. (laughs) The road pays your fucking wages. Shut up. (laughs) Shut up, princess. (laughs) It's it's like like footballers complaining about training. That's how I feel about this song. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a good song, really good song. I, I, I think so too. I think it's horrible in a good way. I really do. Yeah, I can't agree with you either of you. I'm afraid I, I struggle to get on with this. There's, there's one of a one of a handful of really, really good solos in this track. The other thing I'd say about the Killing Road is it, it really points out the production on this album. Just to listen to this as a piece of music, and you, you can hear every instrument and the detail and the power coming from it. And one reason I chose this album, the production on it from Max Norman is phenomenal. I'm loving that solo. Okay, so let's flip this album over, start side two. Well, we talk about track one, side two, don't we, a lot. For me, this is unbelievable. Uh, A contender for one of the best ever. Oh, a lovely gentle start. And then you're absolutely flattened by a juggernaut. (laughs) Okay, uh, we move on to track two of side two, which is Family Tree. Musically, for me, when I've heard this again, it reminded me of the start of a Rush song. Just it sounded, that, that melodic start before it then really you know, kicked back into, into Megadeth. Um, I, I love the fact that Ellison's bass and Menzer's drums are underpinning the vocals for those few lines. Uh, and then the whole thing builds and builds again. But of course, it's a song about incest. Oral sex, anal sex, straight sex, incest. We've got it all going on tonight. Sex with dead people. Uh, in this case, the, the notes in the chorus and then the line, you know, let me show you how I love you, it's our secret, you and me. I mean, it, it's really disturbing. Which begs the question, where does this come from? I, I tried to look it up. and What I found was that he wasn't personally... Uh, put upon that, that something happened in his, I think, broad, broader family or you know, his, his, his circle of friends, so that yeah, there was a that there was a connection somewhere. It just goes back to what I said, isn't it? This is this is Dave Mustaine's therapy. 
Yeah, it, it, I'm not being flippant. It is. This is how he, clearly it's how he processes his life. Track three, side two, is the title track of the album, Euthanasia. Now, I read that this is, uh, that the whole album is is about the fact that we are euthanizing youth, effectively. That, that's where this comes from, isn't it? That, that actually the, the young people of the world are being slowly and systematically you know, stripped of everything that really matters. Does that explain what the album cover's about? Yeah. Yeah. Take it, the, the album cover's taken from a line in the song, isn't it? That's right, yeah. Yeah. In terms of hung out to dry. Album cover was produced by a guy called Hugh Syme, who um, I know well because he does a lot of the, uh, most of the album uh, cover art for Rush, or did do. He created the cover using computer, computer art, but it was realistic enough that some people actually thought it was a real photo. That'd be an award-winning photo, wouldn't it? Bloody hell! I'll be honest, I don't much like this. I, um, I've got, I'm getting a lot of Black Sabbath to that riff. It's this is they're getting heavier. This is this is seriously heavy. Two pace, it's a two-pace number, isn't it? It does get a good deal thrashier. Yeah, I, I, I like it a lot. I, incidentally, I would say to anyone out there, if you've not got this on vinyl, and I haven't. Don't be don't, don't be duped into the remastered version on Spotify. I've been listening to it this week on YouTube, the original version, and the difference. Rich, you got to help me out here. I don't know why the difference in the original and the remastered one on Spotify, whenever it was remastered, is colossal. The sound depth. Yeah, it's all it's all down to compression, isn't it? The compression thins out the the sound. But one track after another, one on Spotify, one on YouTube, listen to the same two tracks, they're poles apart. Yeah, it's been compressed to be streamed. So you're losing all of the richness and the depth in the sound. So we're into the final quarter of the album. And uh, track four on side two is I Thought I Knew It All. Oh, look, another bone-crunching riff. They all get writing credits on this one, don't they? Yeah, I like this. It's, it's a bit different, isn't it? There's, not, there's kind of a bit more going on, and yeah, it's good. But, but like Steve, I'm I'm starting to tire a bit at this point. Yeah, I'm not getting I'm not getting any excitement out of this at all. It's it's, it's big and it's solid. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I, I, I love the riff. I really like the guitar solo on this. I, I thought it. I don't know whether it's Mustaine or Friedman that does it, but it it was very Kirk Hammett to me. The guitar solo on this. And I like the faster the drum beats, the 16s on the hi-hat on through the guitar solo. I think it's a good song. I'm thinking we're back to the, if this album was 10 tracks long, perhaps that's it. Five tracks and out aside is just feels about right. You know, go back to when we were talking about the Black album a, a few episodes ago. I'm not sure if this is one I'd throw out if I reduce it. I don't, it this is a grower. This, this, this has been a grower this last week. I wouldn't throw this out. I'd have it earlier in the album. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I, sudden, I certainly wouldn't chuck the last one out either. But yeah, 10 and 12, it's quite... Um, yeah, there's a difference in there, that extra sort of 10 minutes. My, my tolerance threshold is, has reduced yeah. by this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, well, let's um, move on then and uh, move on to the penultimate track on the album, which is Black Curtains. And a start not unlike... Reckoning Day, I felt. Yes, that's what yeah, I thought that as well. I'll tell you the other thing I thought. If Rage Against the Machine had done this, 
I'd have been all over this like a cheap overcoat. Because <laughs> this is this is basically rap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing for me is when he says "Hey," it's almost a bit sad but true as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's just big. It just thunders, doesn't it? And then the album finishes with victory. Okay, so I have listened to this album five or six times this week, maybe seven. And I think I feel at the moment like I'm listening to it, this track for the first time. And I think it's probably because I've just zoned out by this point. <laughs> it, you know, in the previously, there's absolutely nothing wrong with this track at all, but I'm just tired. I'm, I'm actually, you know, physically exhausted <laughs> <laughs> from, from listening to this relentless onslaught. I mean, it's been brilliant. But it is relentless. It is. It's, yeah. too, it's an album that's two songs too long. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you're probably yeah, you're laying on the floor, pretty much unconscious, having been beaten around the head. Yeah. So this is um this is another Mustaine confessional, Rich, isn't it? Apparently about all the tough times he's gone through, and so he name checks every track they've ever done. Is that kind of how this thing works? Or it started off as a joke around may build a song out of their previous uh, lyrics. So, yeah, there are allegedly 23, I think I counted them, song titles in this, uh, in the lyrics to this song. And again, nothing to think about Mustaine. You read some things, this started as a laugh. They created a song out of the previous song titles and then post the album, someone asked him and it's, oh, well, it's all about the fact that, you know, people think Megadeth is... victorious and fantastic but we had a hell of a shit time getting there you think well really (laughs) yeah yeah it's slightly forced isn't it all that lyrical nonsense but it's i guess it's quite clever but anyway another another great solo i don't know again if it's friedman or mustaine you'd know better than me but and also there's one last gem of a bridge back into that final not even close it's just the perfect way to end the album it's just spat out in that mustaine way that you know, it's just, it's really good. I really like this track. So should we move on to talk about highs and lows then? Mark, do you want to go first? So my low would be this track, Victory. Maybe Black Curtains. I don't know. They're, they're, they're close for me. My high is by a Nat's bollock, uh, a To Le Monde. Steve? Okay. My low would be, um, I thought I knew it all, probably, and my high... Well, it's two or three to go from there. Um, well, I've just given it to Addicted to Chaos. Okay, for me, my low is Black Curtains, my high, Reckoning Day and Blood of Heroes, just two of the most amazing songs they've ever done. Okay, so there we go. There's our third of our albums celebrating the absolute genius that is Max Norman. This will be Max Norman episode part A. I presume there will be B's and C's and D's that we will come back to. But for now, it is time to give all of the tracks on our albums for tonight some score. Reviews complete. Initializing rating process. Okay, so uh, we've listened to the three albums. Now we've scored the three albums. Let's take you through those. Steve, Power of the Night. 
You gave this an average score of 6.9 overall. Richard, you scored it also a dead 6.9. Inevitably, I suppose, uh, I was slightly more enamoured by it. We're scoring it at 7.28 to give it an overall album score of 7.02667. Steve, you want to talk through Delirious Nomad? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so also 1985, um, Armoured Saints, second album. Richard, you scored it 7.15. I scored it 7.8. And Mark, the man who mocked me a week ago, (laughs) questioned why I choose it in the first place, has um, trumped the pair of us with a score of 7.94. For a final score of 7.63. Rich, what about Megadeth's Euthanasia? Yes, for Euthanasia. Steve, you scored it a 7.5. Mark gave it an 8.14. And I gave it a 7.83, which gives Euthanasia a total average score of 7.825. Okay, so there you are. Those are the scores. The question is, uh, where does that leave them in the Hall of Fame? It's time to put the rock in a hard place. Opening the Hall of Fame. Right, so here we are in the hallowed hall. And where are they? Counting up from the bottom, we're now up to 66 albums. Can you believe? Uh, And 14 places off the bottom at uh, number 52 uh, is where Power of the Night by Sabotage is placed. uh, A place higher than Paranoid by Black Sabbath and uh, under Diary of a Madman by Aussie. So an Aussie sandwich for Sabotage. That'll be interesting for them. Climbing a bit higher, uh, we have to go all the way up to number 29 to discover Delirious Nomad by Armoured Saint. Uh, So, yeah, they sneak into the top 30, as is. A place above Van Halen's debut and one place below Kiss's debut. And our highest-scoring album of this episode... Uh, Euthanasia by Megadeth has come into our Hall of Fame at number 23, just below its stablemate in uh, the world of thrash anthraxes among the living. So what do you think of those places, gentlemen? Yeah, um, so I'm a little bit surprised to see anthrax and Megadeth outside the top 20. So, I mean, in, in, in anthrax's terms, of course, that's probably their finest album among the living. So... You know, but I, I, I fear they're not going to go any higher. Um, but yeah, none of them into the top 20. And that's, again, indicative of, you know, the odd week track. Mark's weariness at Megadeth going on and on and on. And although he, he scored it highest, to be fair, so that's a bit unfair. Yeah, I, I think there will be Megadeth albums, Richard, I'm sure you'll agree, that will get closer to the eight mark, possibly eclipse it. Yeah, it would be really interesting to see. Um, uh, how we how we score them? How I'm really interested to see how I score them, because again, this is not about albums that just about what you hold dear to your heart, but actually how good every single part of it is. Yeah, exactly. And um, I, I think, uh, well, <laughs> I think it's fairly obvious from from the show that if you'd asked me a week ago where I thought Delirious Nomad might have ended up, uh, it wouldn't have been at number thirty. And uh, I'm surprised to see Megadeth outside the top 20, I have to say. Well, there's a lot of quality above them. (laughs) Yeah. So, well, uh, I think that just goes to prove, doesn't it, that, um, I mean, I think it's Steve, it's you who's always said that if you want to 
have any chance of being in the top 20, you've got to be punching through and, and well through the eight barrier, don't you? Yeah, very definitely. Any any possible slip up, any possible weak link, any possible misstep, um, and you're tumbling down this table, aren't you? No, no two ways about it. Um, some good albums, really good albums, not even close to threatening the top 20 because they had moments of the moments that just didn't that, that we just didn't approve of you know and you know we are the arbiters it's our game it's our ball yeah. that's the thing though isn't it there are going to be people looking at the list going uh, saying well they're mad you know they don't know what they're talking about because such and such an album's at number whatever and this album's at this position but actually as we've always said you know you take take physical graffiti you know physical graffiti is considered to be one of the finest rock albums ever created but it's considered that way because of a handful of absolute stone cold classic songs that you know brilliant songs and the place it holds in people's hearts inevitably and necessarily ignores quite a lot of sludge at the back of that album so you know it's worth saying again you know when you start to rank every single track you get a real sense of where the weaknesses are and that is what kills these albums and let's be honest you know the top three uh led zeppelin four deep purple's machine head and metallica's metallica so you know we're not taking the piss no we're certainly not doing that we're certainly not doing that okay so it's time to close the door on the Hall of Fame for another week. Episode number 22, uh, all finished, all done. We've enjoyed our time in the company of Max Norman, I think. It's been a largely a fabulous week. All that remains now is for us to go away and work out what we're doing for the next episode and wish everybody else a very good week, and we'll see you next time. All music clips featured in the Enter Sad Men podcast appear within the context of criticism and or commentary and as such are used under the fair use provisions of the exceptions to copyright rules of UK and international copyright law. To make sure the rock rolls forever on, Mark, Steve, and Rich urge all their listeners to show their love and support for the artists and writers featured on the show by purchasing the original music or subscribing to a licensed and regulated streaming service.